0: let's bow together for prayer father thank you for the beauty of this day Uh, father when we went out this morning for the first time we recognized that it's um, significantly cooler than june usually is and so we're grateful for that and uh, just thank you for the privilege of meeting together today and fellowshipping with one another enjoying a good meal and we ask you to use the food to strengthen and nourish our bodies we are very excited about the opportunity of continuing our study in First Peter, and so I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, and I pray that when we leave, we'll all be saying together, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord in the middle of the week. Uh, so, Father, uh, meet the needs of all who are here. Comfort, encourage us, and, and uh, I pray, Father, for those unable to join us today who normally come, that you'll be with them and return them safely to us We look forward to Vacation Bible School. It is certainly a highlight of the summer at our church, and so we pray that next week will be a very, very special week. Lots of boys and girls in this building, and we pray that many of them who do not yet know you will come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. So bless us now in our time together. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Alright, right, First Peter chapter 1, uh, I put the outline from uh, the section verses one, 13 through 25, but we've already done uh, the first two parts, reflections on the difference salvation should make in a believer's life, we should be filled with hope, and we should live in holiness, so we've already talked about that, so we're going to pick up today with uh, verse 17, one thing that should be evident In our lives as followers of Christ is that we should fear God. There should be a, a respect, a fear and awe of God uh, in our hearts that should, that should mark us distinctively. So let's look at verse 17 through 21 and we'll talk about it briefly. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So let's talk about those few verses for a moment. First of all, in verse 17, he reminds us that God is holy. He is holy. You call him Father. You know that he judges perfectly so, he says, we should fear, we should be in respect, we should be in awe of God. When when we see this text about being in fear of God, it does not mean we walk around with our knees knocking together all the time. But what it does mean is that in our hearts there is a sense of awe, a sense of, of majesty, a sense of respect that is all bathed, in gratitude to God for his greatness i don't know how often you stop and think about the greatness of god i hope it i hope it's frequently but does it ever just simply astound you how our great god would choose to care for us care about us and care for us. Uh, his majesty and his power are beyond our comprehension. Uh, his greatness, his, his bigness. Our God is big. And to think that he would care about the likes of, of us and that not only does he care, but he cares immensely. So much so that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to arise from the grave. Our sins then can be forgiven. We can have that gift of eternal life. Don't ever lose that sense of awe, majesty, fear, respect of God. Make it as fresh today as it was 20 years ago. Make it as fresh tomorrow as it's ever been As long as you have breath, live in awe of the majesty of God. He is holy, so we respect him. You notice the word, he uses that word in in, in verse 17, foreigners. That is intended to remind us of something. It is intended to remind us we aren't home yet. This is not our home. This is not our final home. This, We are on the way, but we aren't home yet. And so this text reminds us that we aren't home yet. And so as foreigners in this land, so to speak, in this place, we live in reverent fear. Of our holy God. Now, you'll notice in verses 18 through 21 that he reminds us that we have been redeemed. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, not redeemed by material things. Uh, and this was important, as Peter writes to a suffering people. Don't, don't forget, as we journey through this epistle that Peter is writing to a suffering people. And so he says to them, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. And most of the recipients of this epistle would not have had much in the way of silver or gold or stuff or earthly possessions. And so this is written, intended to encourage them. That It is not stuff, it isn't things, it isn't gold, it isn't silver that redeems you from your formerly empty way of life, handed down to you from those who went before you, but it is with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. When you read the word lamb, lamb of God, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb without blemish or defect. See Jesus and see Him on the cross. The Lamb of God without blemish, without defect, hanging on the cross for you and me. He did not deserve to be there. but God, in eternity past, ordained that His son, Jesus, would die on the cross for us, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect, precious and perfect lamb of God. I was at Randy Hughes' house a year or so ago, and they had just had some, most of you know Randy Hughes, one of our elders, teaches one of our big Sunday school classes, and they just had, they had just had some lambs born and I, he let me hold one of the lambs. And, um, wow, that little cuddly thing just rested in my arms. And, and I couldn't help but think about the way the Bible speaks of Jesus as the precious lamb of God. And so what a tender picture that we have here and it is this precious lamb of God and his blood that has purchased our redemption. We have been redeemed. And he reminds us, Peter reminds us that this has been God's plan from eternity past. And he reminds us of how that plan has unfolded from Genesis to Revelation. Interestingly enough, We just finished Genesis, and not too long ago, we did Revelation. Many of you were here for both of those books. And we have seen the plan of God unfold before our very eyes from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. Now, verse 21 is a magnificent verse. Through Him, you believe in God. Through Jesus, you believe in God who raised Him, who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified Him at the right hand of the Father, glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Just a reminder to a suffering people and to us. Our hope, our trust, our faith is not in here or anything here that we might have or might not have, but it is in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, in Him is our faith and our hope. And so to a people in pain, some of that pain may have been physical, but much of it was spiritual and stressful. To a people who are in pain, He reminds them, your faith and your hope are in God. Can you see how that would have been so reassuring to a people who suffered and how that leap forward 2,000 years, how that is so reassuring to us, particularly in times when we hurt, when we are in pain, when we suffer, how these words are assuring to us, reassuring to us. So we're journeying through 1 Peter right now, and so... Um, Perhaps it's kind of forcing all of us into the text and, and reading through First Peter. But in, in the future, when pain comes, when suffering comes, when sorrow comes, remember, go back to First Peter. And remember, it's written to a suffering people and read it and find in these inspired words of the Holy Spirit great strength, encouragement, and hope. Don't we need that? How we need that? And and so remember. Well, he says that there are some things that ought to mark us as people who have been redeemed, people who are believers, and and a fear of God is one of them. But when he comes to verses 22 to 25... He also reminds us that another marker of the believer, the child of God, the follower of Christ, ought to be that we love one another. We are to love one another. What what was it Jesus said? By this shall all men know that you belong to me, that you love one another. It's it's the hallmark, the, the, the mark of a believer is that we love one another. I may have said something about this a couple of weeks ago in a message, but if you've ever been in a fellowship of believers where the word fellowship ain't happening and where there is strife and there is contention and and people at odds with one another, you can just feel it. You just know it's there even if you're walking in the door for the first time. It's it's there and you know it. That's not supposed to be that way. It isn't supposed to be that way. A hallmark of of Christ's followers is that we love one another. Now, by that, I'm not even hinting that we should always agree about everything. We don't and we won't. But there is a big difference between... Honest disagreement and, and contentiousness and, dis, and spite and even hatred. So Peter says we're to love one another. So let's see how he words it, beginning with verse 22. Now, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For, now he quotes from the book of Isaiah, the 40th chapter. All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. I read that passage and uh, you drove to get here today you looking around. How many of you have commented in the last week, isn't it beautiful and green and lush? It is great. We've had rain and it hadn't been overbearingly hot yet. But we know what's coming. (laughs) We've lived here a while. We know what's coming. That grass, unless it's an extraordinarily unusual summer, that grass is going to turn brown real soon. Just a reminder of the very words that are written here first in Isaiah and then quoted by, by Peter. So he says we're to love one another. In verse 22, first of all, he says, You have obeyed truth. You have obeyed truth. So therefore, you have sincere love. In other words, you belong to Christ. Therefore, you have in your heart placed there by the Holy Spirit, you have sincere love. Now, put it into practice by loving one another. So he talks about what is our possession and then says, put it into practice by genuinely loving one another. And we love one another by our actions, not just by warm, fuzzy thoughts, but by our actions. We we put love into action. So it is it is words where we express our love for one another, but it is also our deeds, where we, on purpose, with intention, reach out to one another and and love one another. So Peter's reminding us a distinctive mark of the Christ follower is that we love one another. And this is, can can you see the, the way The Holy Spirit is leading Peter to write and think. Remember the audience, a suffering people. And the worst thing in the world for a sufferer is when they feel like they are totally isolated and alone. So Peter wants to remind us in our suffering, we are not... Isolated, we are not alone, but we love one another. So can you see how, as this epistle was being read, no doubt, in a church setting of the first century, that this would have been cause for a a sitting up a little straighter on the whatever it was they sat on with? when they gathered together that and it may well have been the floor but they were this causes you to yes man we're suffering and I, that suffering scares me don't know what's going to happen next but you're here with me we are with one another we love one another and and that bolsters the believer okay i am not i'm not alone um you know sometimes in America, we talk about, you know, how wonderful it might have, must have been to be the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Hogwash. <laughs> I don't want to be the Lone Ranger. I want you by my side. Uh, and I hope you want me by your side. And there's never really supposed to be anything called Lone Ranger Christians. We, we need each other very much. So this would have caused those believers to look to the left. And look to the right. Look across the room. There are other believers. I'm not alone. And there are people I love and people who love me and we're in this together. We will stand together. Come what may, we will stand together. And that message is important for the church in times of prosperity and in times of suffering and pain. And we all experience both. So... It is a reminder, you have obeyed the truth. And in verses 23, 24, and 25, he reminds them, you've been regenerated. You've you've been born again. Um, Where do you recall scripturally first hearing those words, born again? You remember where? John's Gospel, the third chapter. Who's Jesus conversing with? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. You must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't didn't get it at that moment. He's thinking of physical, how can we get back in our mother's womb and get born all over again? No, that's not what Jesus meant. And he explains it to Nicodemus because we know that when we follow Christ, we've been born twice, born physically, but we've been born again. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been regenerated. We've been, we've been redeemed, and he reminds us of the eternal nature of our redemption. Imperishable seed—not with—not with perishable, but with imperishable. It's eternal. It's forever, and he exalts in verse twenty-four as, and twenty-five as he quotes from Isaiah. He exalts the majesty, the power, and the authority of the Word of God, the eternal Word of God. You know, that book that you're holding in your hand, whether it's in paper form or electronic form, is, is precious. We treasure this Word. We worship God, but we treasure His Word. And so a distinctive of the believer is we, we, we fear, we fear God and we love one another. Now, when he comes to chapter two, he continues thinking in the same vein because he's going to give us two more areas of distinction that ought to mark us as Christ followers. And the first one is found in verses 1 through 3. We ought to crave the Scripture, desire the Scripture. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. Verse 1. Excuse me. Therefore. Where does the therefore come from? On the basis of what I just said, which was to magnify the Word of God, on that basis... Then rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That third verse, have you found that to be true? You've tasted of the Lord and He is good. You know, when you, when you're physically eating and the, the, that food you've been looking at for five minutes and you finally taste it and it's like, wow, even better than you thought it would be. We taste of the Lord and what do we find? Eh, it's all right. Is that our reaction? Oh no. Oh no, he is even better than we could have imagined that he would be. So, I I don't want to digress. So, crave the scripture because you have been converted, transformed, born again, changed from the inside out. Because of all that has happened in you spiritually, then rid yourself of the self-centered sins of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, which are all evidence of lostness and failure to love the Scripture. So I love the way Peter does this. He doesn't say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get with it and walk the straight and narrow. He reminds us, rather... That we have been converted, transformed, born again, changed from the inside out. And because of that, not your own strength, but because of that, then rid yourself of the self-centered sins that he lists plainly for us. Now, uh, I have no intention of pondering over These words, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, I I don't need to do that, do I? You all understand the meaning of all of those words, and you understand that they are marks not of a believer, but of one who is not ruled by Christ, and one who does not love the Scripture, and so we don't want those things to mark us, and and yes, we're not perfect, so there may be those times when uh, we, for instance, are envious or maybe even we slander, but we ask for forgiveness and we determine I won't do it again and it isn't a lifestyle. It does not mark us as a lifestyle. Peter says, put, put all that stuff away and... Crave pure spiritual milk. That which nourishes the Christian community in its growth and its knowledge of God, in prayer, in instruction of the gospel, in faithful obedience. And it is, it is in hearing and a desiring to hear the word preached and taught and to feast upon it ourselves as we read it and think about it and meditate upon it. Crave spiritual truth, spiritual milk, the Word of God. And because of that craving, we are then able to rid ourselves, and literally that could be translated strip away, strip away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Just strip it away. That's, that should not mark us because we have good habits that come from craving pure spiritual milk, the Word of God. All founded on the fact of verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Notice how he says, verse 1, verse 2, gets our attention, we read all that. And he says, all that is true because of the foundation of verse 3, you have tasted that the Lord is good. See how he builds that? Verses one and two he and he builds it on the foundation of verse three. I've tasted the Lord. He's good. He is good. He is good indeed. So Paul, uh, Peter is saying, crave the scripture. Then he comes to verses four and five, and that's where we will have to stop. Build a spiritual house. Now, I I will not, I'll just lay this out there, and we'll we'll explain it next week. But verses 4 and 5, in my humble estimation, are two of the wow verses of the Bible. You know, there's some verses you read and you just stop and you say, wow. In my estimation, verses 4 and 5 of First Peter 2 are verses that you read and you just sit back and say, wow. So read them this week, several times, see if your reaction is wow, and we'll talk about it not next Wednesday, but two weeks from today. Father, thank you for your precious word, thank you for the encouragement that it gives us Father, thank you that even in times when we hurt, when we're in pain, when we're suffering spiritually, physically, emotionally, whatever it may be, we know that you love us and you care for us. Our brothers and our sisters love us and care for us. Your word is precious to us, and we thank you. So I pray that we will crave your word and feast upon it in the days that are before us. And bring us back together again two weeks from today to continue our study in First Peter. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.